everyone. This is Charlie Lofton, the lead pastor at the Grove Church, and so thankful that you have joined us here on our Cultivate podcast. Um, For the next uh, several episodes, we are going to be spending some time talking about the commands of Jesus, um, what it means to obey, what does God really want from us? I mean, we're just going to be kind of exploring. We've been we've been doing a series at the church on Sunday mornings. We've been kind of going through the commands of Jesus, kind of starting with this premise in John 14, 21, where Jesus says this, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my father and I too will love them and show myself to them. So we started by, we started by asking the question, okay, well, if it, you know, if, if the way that we show love for Jesus is through obedience, what is exactly, what are exactly the commands that he has that he's commanded us? What are the things that we're supposed to do? And so on our Cultivate podcast over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about, we're going to start today by talking about, is obedience to God necessary? And then over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at, you know, doing a deep dive on a few of these commands that Jesus gave. We're going to look at just kind of what our attitude about Bible commands in general is supposed to be. And we'll wrap it up in the last week with a question about big picture, what is it that Jesus really wants from us? So again, today we are starting with the idea, is obedience to God, is obedience to God necessary? And we start, you know, again, with John 14, 21, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. So the way, so Jesus is saying here that the way that we demonstrate our love for him is through obedience. And too often, or very often, we'll ask the question, does God demand obedience from us? Is it is obedience necessary? And I, and I use that phrase, is obedience necessary? I keep saying that, and, I, and I'm intentionally using that, and it's an intentionally vague, because when people ask that question, is obedience necessary? The very kind of natural um, follow-up question to that is, is obedience necessary for what? And so then you, then you ask that, and it's like, well, you know, is, is, it, is it essential? Well, that doesn't really help matters. Is obedience essential? Is it essential for what? And too often, and again, I think this shows, this shows a very limited perspective that some of us have on what it really means to be a follower of God, what it means to be a follower of Jesus, because I think the natural implication of that question is, can I be saved? and not really obey? Can I go to heaven and not really be obedient? And so we'll use the thinking about that for ourselves because maybe we are trying to get away with the minimum, um, which was, again, which, which was my attitude in high school. In high school, well, not high schools, all, any, anytime I was pursuing any academic degree of any kind, it was what is the least amount of effort that I can put into this and still get the maximum grade that I want? And I think too often we bring that attitude into our spiritual life. And so when we ask the question, is obedience necessary? There is, there is, a, there is a subtle implication there of what is the minimum that I can get away with and still get the maximum benefits. And so what we'll do is we're going to address first the theology of the essential or non-essentialness of, of obedience, and then kind of talk about in what ways is obedience essential? So 20, 30 years ago, wow, I'm old, 30 to 40 years ago, there was a controversy of sorts that was um, surrounding the um, Christian church. 
around the idea of, and the two extremes were, we'll call them cheap grace and lordship salvation. And cheap grace is the idea that when, when you read Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, where Paul says that it's by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it's the gift of God, not as a result of works, that no one can boast. Well, that says that your salvation is not based on anything that you do. It's not anything that you do in advance. It's not anything that you do after. And people have criticized that idea because they believe that it too often leads to this idea of cheap grace. And cheap grace being that you don't really have to make a commitment to follow God. You don't really have to repent. You don't really have to trust. It's just free. And you'd be like, you know, you're, you're at some church service or church camp. And somebody says, do you want to accept Jesus? And you're like, sure, I, I want to go to heaven. And you just kind of raise your hand and then that's it. And then it's not really requiring anything of you heart-wise, commitment-wise. It's just something that you can just accept and take and then just go about your life as normal. And in response to cheap grace, we kind of, what kind of was built out of that was it was a movement that was called at the time Lordship Salvation. That to quote receive Christ, and what we mean by that, John cha- John chapter one verse twelve, um, G, uh, the uh, the gospel says this: that as many as believed in him, to to as many as received him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And so, in order to become a child of God, you have to believe in Jesus. You have to believe in who he was and what he did. And then it also says that you have to receive him. And, you know, and that's, that's a common phrase that a lot of Christians will use to talk about becoming a Christian, that you need to receive Christ. And historically, what that has meant to receive Christ is to believe in the gospel, that his death on the cross was for you. I'm receiving Jesus Christ as my Savior. And the Lordship Salvation people, what they were saying was that in order to really receive Christ, you must receive him not just simply as a Savior, as one who died for you, but you just you must also recognize him immediately as your Lord and that you are making a an intentional commitment to say at the moment of salvation that I am going to obediently follow him for the rest of my life, which on the surface is not necessarily a terrible idea because what to to really believe and receive Jesus is to recognize that he is the son of God and the Lord of the universe. That is who he is. And so to believe and receive him is to recognize and understand that that's who he is. The problem comes as they've begun to, as they began to kind of unfold the theology behind it is that um, in order to be a genuine follower of Christ, you must from the very beginning demonstrate that you are living a life that says that I am fully submitted to obedience and to Jesus Christ as my Lord. And the problem with that is what that really then becomes is a works-based salvation. You may not have to do any work on the front end, but there is essential required work on the back end in order for salvation to be real. And the way that we have talked about that, if you've ever joined us on a Sunday morning, we talk about this from time to time at the Grove, where we say that it's free, you can accept it for free, but if you have to make payments on the end, it's not really free, it's a layaway plan. Um, it's, it's, it's rent to own. It's not really yours until you pay it off on the back end. It's an installment, it's a loan, it's any number of things that you could say that could be foreclosed upon at any moment based on you not giving the required works. 
And I think that it is absolutely essential for all of us to understand the subtlety of what I will call, and you can criticize this if you'd like, feel free to shoot us a note, the heresy of lordship salvation. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 makes it abundantly clear that salvation is completely and totally free. It is a work that Jesus accomplished all by himself on the cross. It is a gift of God. Romans 6.23, the gift of God is eternal life. It is a gift. A gift is only received. A gift is not earned in advance, and a gift is not paid for on the backside. You do not pay for a gift. Like Someone can give you a birthday present for free, but if they ask you for $20 on the back end, then it was not a gift. It was a bait and switch. And the idea of obedience being essential to having salvation is that sort of bait and switch. And so I think it is important for us theologically to understand that salvation is completely and totally free. It is completely and totally a gift from God. But now let's go back to the question, is obedience necessary? Is it essential? Well, I think the way that I would like to describe it, it is a very, it is a natural outflow of what will happen from a genuine decision. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, what Paul talks about there is he says that if anyone is in Christ, he is made new. He is a new creation because the old things have passed away and new things have come. Um, Galatians 2.20 says that I have been crucified with Christ and is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live now, I live through Jesus. And so both of those things kind of essentially give us a promise is that once Jesus comes into your life, your life will be new. But the subtlety, again, of both of those verses in 2 Corinthians 5 and in Galatians chapter 2 Both of these things, again, are described as works that Jesus will do. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. There's a lot of old becomes new, death becomes alive imagery that is described to describe what happens to you after you become a Christian. And so there's a lot of things that you can do. There's a lot of things that I can do, but a couple of things that I cannot do is I cannot make something that is old, I cannot make it new, and I cannot take something that is dead, and I cannot make it alive. These are things that only God can do. And so God will do the thing that he promised based on his free gift, which is to give you eternal life. And once he has done that, he promises that something else is going to happen to you. What is going to happen to you is that you are going to be made new. You are going to be reborn. You are going to be given new life. And these are promises. These are things that God promises that he will do in you. And so are works necessary? Well, the answer to that is if you have to do something to earn God's love, either on the front end or the back end, well, then the answer is no. Are they necessary in the sense that they will be a necessary result of the promise of what God said he would do in your life? Absolutely. It will happen. The result of a genuine, authentic decision to follow Christ will result in newness. It will result in new life. This is something that God has said that he will do in you. And it is not something that you are doing to earn it. It is something that God has given us. It is a promise. It is a result. It is an outflow 
of the work that the Holy Spirit is going to do in your life once you come to faith. And so there's a verse, there's a passage, Luke, Luke, uh, Luke chapter 6, where, I mean, it's, it's not really a parable, but it's kind of an interesting little illustration where um, Jesus starts in, 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 in Luke chapter 6, verse 46, where he says this, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? And after this, he used this illustration that some of you may be familiar with, where he describes two different types of house, one that house that is built on a rock and is completely stable, and one that is built on sand that is unstable, and that when a storm comes, it wipes it out. And then he describes then like the person who listens to my commandments and obeys them is the one who like lives on that house on a firm foundation. But it all starts with this idea. It's like, why do you call him Lord and not do what he says? It's a rhetorical question, but it is a very important question. It is one that every one of us needs to answer. If, if we have received him, we have chosen to follow him. He has made us new. Why would you call him Lord? Why would you come to church? Why would you call yourself a Christian? Why would you call yourself a follower of Christ and not follow him? It is a great rhetorical question. And it is important because obedience, it, it, it is essential, but essential for what? For good living. It is essential for right living. It is essential for maintaining good relationship with God. It is how you show gratitude to a God who loves you. And again, too often we kind of put this in the category of, well, salvation was, if you, if you don't, are you really saved? If you don't, can you lose your salvation? And we think about everything in terms of getting saved, losing salvation, going to heaven, not going to heaven. And, I'll, and, I, and I can say this with a, a measure of confidence, and I'm sure that not only will this be a future episode of Cultivate someday, but it'll probably be its own series because I could talk about it for a while, which is that we are completely secure. Once you have made a genuine um, acceptance of Jesus and the gospel, the Bible says that you've been justified, and Romans 8 says that everyone who is justified will ultimately be glorified by God in heaven. So everyone who has made that genuine decision will make it. So obedience is not necessary in that sense, but I think it's time for us to throw that thinking out and say obedience is necessary and, and essential for maintaining a good relationship with God. And so, I mean... We think about it again, as long as we think about it in these kind of heaven or hell transactional terms, we miss it. But if I were to say this in the context of a marriage, is faithfulness required in a marriage? Is telling the truth required in a marriage? When you're asking, like, if I'm, if I'm not, if I am unfaithful, if I do lie, will my wife necessarily divorce me? Is, is, is that the only, is, is that the standard? I mean, maybe your wife will or won't leave you, but that's not the point. The point is, obviously, it's essential because that's how one maintains a good, strong, healthy marriage. You maintain a good, strong, healthy marriage through faithfulness, by honoring, by loving, by being truthful. And we maintain a healthy relationship with God by surrendering to his lordship, by understanding how essential it is for my day-to-day -day life for me to live according to his design for my life. And again, there's lots of, there's lots of ways that this is described. I mean, Jesus says this a handful of different times where he says that a tree will ultimately be known by its fruit. And uh, James says this a lot. You know, Paul says in Ephesians 2 that you're justified, that um, 
that you're justified by, by faith. You're, it's, it's by faith alone. Romans is full of this. You, you are justified by faith, not by works. And then James says something that can be a little bit confusing to us in James where he says, no, it's actually you're, you're justified by your works. And people get really confused by that. But really, it's, he's saying, they're, they're, they're both saying very similar things. That Paul is saying that you are justified, that you are, sh- that, that you are saved, you are made right before God by what you do. And then James says something really interesting where he says, you know, that you believe that you are saved by your faith and then not by works. And basically what he says in, but I will show you my faith by my works. And so what he is saying, what Paul is saying is that the way that one gets saved is made right with God is through faith. And the, what James says is the way that faith is shown to be genuine is by what you do. And again, we take the necessary for salvation, lose your salvation, take all of that out of there. This is just another way of describing the promise that is all throughout Scripture, that when God makes you, gives you life, you will be new. You will live a new, different life, one that is in increasing in your faithfulness in your obedience to God, that is what will happen. And so too often then, and we'll, we'll finish with this, too often when we start uh, going around this question, we've always got somebody, we've always got somebody that we want to ask about. And I call it Uncle Joe. Everybody's got an Uncle Joe. And Uncle Joe, it's amazing how we all have an Uncle Joe. And all Uncle Joe, he's got this same uh, similar story where he was going to church all the time and he was teach Sunday school and he did all the right things and was great to his, he was great to his wife. And then after 20 years, he divorced his wife and ran off with the secretary and says he's an atheist now. But what about Uncle Joe? Is Uncle Joe going to heaven? Like the reality of it is, I don't know anything about your Uncle Joe and you probably don't either. You just have some kind of anecdotal story about someone who at one season of their life seemed to demonstrate faith and another season of their life seemed to not. We're going to let God sort out these weird examples of people that we have as to whether or not their initial decision to follow God was genuine and what really happens to somebody when they completely and totally abandon the faith. We're going to let that God sort that out. And again, in a different podcast, we can spend some more time just kind of examining why I strongly believe that someone doesn't lose salvation. But it's really important for us that we don't base our theology and understanding about how critical and important obedience is based on some random example of a stranger or an uncle, a distant relative, a friend, or whatever. We need to understand this at its simplest. Salvation from God is totally free. You don't pay for it on the front end. You don't pay for it on the back end. And so in that sense, works are not essential. But as James says, as Corinthians says, as Galatians say, It all says works are a natural outflowing of what a faithful life in Christ will look like. And ultimately, it is essential for your healthy living. And so I know that this is this this can be a really complicated, confusing topic. And I hope that this has been uh, at, at least gotten you started about kind of really splitting the difference between thinking that you can just simply and easily have a cheap grace where you just kind of believe, but don't nothing is expected of you or having the, the overwhelmingly burdened theology of Lordship salvation that says that if I'm not good enough at any moment, God is going to declare the decision that I made to be disingenuous. 
Splitting between those two things is a genuine, sincere faith that says, I want the free gift of God that Jesus Christ has offered me. And now because of what he has done for me in the cross and what he's done in me through his Holy Spirit, I am compelled to live a life of obedience and faithfulness to the one who loves me. Thanks so much for joining us. I encourage you to keep joining us over the next few weeks as we kind of explore some more questions about commands and what God needs and wants from us. Um, encourage you, okay, check us out sometime at thegrovechurch.org, and we'd love to see you on a Sunday, either live or online. Thanks again for joining us. 